2: You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals.
0: Hello and welcome to The Game. I'm Alison Rudd with the podcast from The Times, where Premier League fans can get every goal, every game, everywhere. And another reminder that we're going on the road. You can join the football debate at our live show in Birmingham on October 24th. Tickets cost £5 only for Times Plus members and a still reasonable £7.50 for non-members. To book your tickets, visit www.ctickets.com forward slash the Times or call 0871 620 4025. Back to the present, and a welcome to my guests today, Clive Petty and Jim Proudfoot. Coming up, we'll discuss Arsenal's gorgeous goals and those smoke bombs. But first, let's dissect Manchester United against Southampton. Let's go with the good news from from Old Trafford, Jim, where they've they've signed Janus. How do you spell it? Januzai. Januzai. Where they sign Januzai. They signed him, not England, by the way. Uh, It's a five-year deal. There were rumours that he might be going to City, he might be going abroad. Is this a crucial signing for Moyes or just just something that if they hadn't achieved, it would have just been embarrassing for them?
2: I I think it's probably the latter, Alison. to be honest with you. Uh, He's going to be a very good player, there's no doubt about it. So from that point of view, he is integral to what David Moyes is trying to build. But I think after what happened with Pogba, it would have been a massive Kicking the teeth, had yet another player that Manchester United have been able to develop over the last few years, got to the age of consent, if you like, and gone, you know what, Manchester United is not for me. I think that there are, bigger, there are bigger clubs that I can go and play for and ply my trade. Uh, so I think it's a face-saving exercise as much, any, as much as anything else. I mean, they've been trying to get the deal done for a good few months. It will be relief to everybody that it has finally been sorted because it has uh, cut off the potential for a a large amount of embarrassment. Of course, We don't yet know how he's going to be. Scoring twice away at Sunderland isn't necessarily the barometer by which every Premier League player wants to be judged for how his career is going to pan out. But we'll see. I certainly think that it will go down in in a few years' time. We'll look back at it being a very good bit of business. But at the moment, it's just a crucial face-saving exercise. Yeah,
0: I think I I agree with you. I I mean, presumably his representatives and his father said, you may as well stay with Man United because, you know, it looks to me like you're going to get playing time. If this similar situation had arisen three years ago, a player of his age might have thought, I, I don't know, I'm going I'm to get more playing time at a Premier League club if I leave. Do, do you think, Clive? I mean, it's-, it's a sign of the times that you can be that young, that inexperienced, have, a- have a- the odd flash of talent, and then suddenly you know you're going to be in the Man United it- it- team. Yeah,
3: it- it's... You mentioned the, uh, England there, but it, it it kind of mirrors that situation. It doesn't actually take very much these days <laughs> to get you into even the Man United first team. I mean, as you said, you know, two goals against uh, Sunderland, and suddenly, you know, he is the latest big thing to hit the Premier League. I mean, it, be wary. The jury is still out on this guy. He, I agree with Jim hell of amount of potential there but we should rein our necks in a bit and let's just give him time to develop and see what he can do and he's right I agree with you too it is a case of look let's let's shackle him down now because we really don't want another Pogba situation happening again.
0: It, you know, it was a depressing afternoon for David Moyes because you'd expect in you know under Ferguson at home to Southampton no brainer three points it was a draw Southampton did what Man United often do they kept going and they got a LA late equaliser but if you look at the highlights, at least, there were a lot of chances from uh, United. They hit the woodwork, Jim. I mean, w- were, they, were they the better team and were just unlucky on the day? Or is this result symptomatic of a deeper malaise?
2: I think that they were the better team in the first half. And in the second half, they probably allowed Southampton back into it. But then having said that, and I know that when the two sides last met Old Trafford back in January, it was a different result and United won that day. But it wasn't a different story. Southampton in that game were much the better side in the second half and the fact that they lost 2-1 was a travesty of justice. So I don't really think that there was too much in difference in the level of performance of the two sides this time under Moyes than there was when Pochettino last took his side there back in January. And that might be United fans might think I'm sort of clutching at straws on their behalf there. I don't think i am southampton are a good side they've only conceded two goals going into this game so the fact that manchester united haven't steamrolled them i don't think is a sign of embarrassment you've got to look not necessarily at the identity of the club that united played at the weekend but at their record and the and the players that they were up against of course the problem is that united when they've only picked up whatever it was 10 points in the first seven games going into it every failure now Gets magnified and and people are looking for excuses. I, don't, I think this was one of United's better performances, albeit that they did allow Southampton back into the game late on with a, an eminently preventable goal. Yeah,
0: Clive. I mean, Southampton they did have more possession. I think the stats say they had more possession, and they certainly had more shots. Whether they were as close to going in as United is another question. But they they weren't. It was no by name as a defensive performance. They were pressing high up. They were ambitious. Is it simply all about United facing a team in form here?
3: No, I, well, yes and no. I mean, Southampton. I agree with Jim. They, they are a better, much better side than uh, a lot of people give them credit for. I think they'll be, they'll do well this season. That that is a top ten team there, and I think in certain positions, they they, they just outperformed Man United. I think if you looked at uh, the likes of uh, Loven and Wanyama uh, and Lilana, they were they were even when United were. were Pushing forward, or you know, creating all those chances, those players uh, looked good. You know, Southampton, and they. I think it's a sign of not so much even Moyes, but as Jim said, even last season. This isn't. I don't still don't think this is a great United team. I don't think people are actually that frightened of this United team, whether that's Moyes or or Ferguson, to be quite honest. So Southampton went there uh, full of confidence and were prepared. I mean, they know they're going to concede a lot of uh, chances. This is Man United at home, after all. You know, they're going to create a lot of chances. What they didn't do was kill that game off. Uh, and as the game, as it went on at 1-0, Southampton always thought, you know, they never stopped playing. They always thought, well, we've still got a chance here. We just need to, you know, if we take one chance, we get that point at Old Trafford, we're, we're fine, you know. Yeah, but we do have to give Southampton a lot of credit for that. I think, you know, Manchester United, they're at home. They're always going to create a lot of chances. But they really do have to learn to kill those games off again now under Moyes. I think... He may well have said that the the substitution of Rooney made no difference. But I think it kind of – I still think it kind of did. Well, Um, to be
0: fair, wasn't – I mean, Rooney was flagging, wasn't he? I mean, that's Yes, but he could have –
3: well, actually, I'm not quite sure who else was left on the bench. But he could have uh, sent on a more positive substitution. He decided to make it a defensive substitution. And I think Southampton just thought, well, that gives us a bit more space. We'll, we'll continue going forward. It's, it might have sent out the wrong vibe. If, we did a, if United had continued going forward to try and kill that and get that second goal, that late second goal, it yeah. would you know, be, be a different story.
0: Yeah, Jim, I mean, that, under Ferguson, is that a myth? I mean, that, that, that in the last five minutes of a game, if it wasn't going his way, he would be almost cavalier?
2: No, I don't think it is a myth. I mean, I, I spent one year watching United home and away um, commentating and he did that sort of game in game out they weren't kind of in in, up up against it behind the eight ball too often it has to be said but he would certainly go for it I don't think Sir Alex would have made that change And and I almost feel guilty speaking with the benefit of hindsight but he's brought on a defender in Chris Smalling uh, in order to supply a little bit more height so they can defend set pieces. And they promptly then forget to how to defend a set piece. Now, he you, you might have got away with it, but he didn't. Had he brought Kagawa on, then, as Clive said, it's a different story because it's just giving Southampton a little bit of think about going the other way. And are they defending with an implausibly high line if they're playing against Kagawa? Perhaps they would have been. And it might have changed the dynamic of the game in those last few minutes. But, you know, it didn't happen. I, I think that... By his very nature, David Moyes will always be a more cautious manager than Sir Alex. That may or may not be a bad thing.
0: And we will find out more about Sir Alex's personality when his new autobiography hits the bookshelves on Tuesday. Clive, should he be even re- even be writing one now? Uh,
3: should he be writing one now? Well, yeah, it might it might have been more uh, prudent to have waited to at least give him Moyes a season, and especially. I think, the day, or the day before, the, on the day that United will actually take the field for a Champions League game as well. I mean, I can say this is you know it's all about timing. I suppose. I mean, there would have been the publicity would have been great for Ferguson book any time. But I think even somebody at United might have just said, you know, he's still around, he's still at that game. Would have said, so Alex, do you think this is kind of the best thing to be doing? But then again, is there anybody there who's going to tell Sir Alex Ferguson uh, to do anything that he doesn't want to do? You know, yeah, well, um,
0: presumably the wheels have been put in motion by the publishers and the publicists. Well, before, well, before he realised oh, that it might be a dodgy start for David
3: Moyes. Well, yeah, but they managed to... I suppose they did manage to change the date once, didn't they? Because it was meant to be coming out on the day of uh, good old Prince George's christening and they managed to move, the shift the date then. I mean, I'm sure that this could have been avoided somehow. I think... Moyes really doesn't need anything else to think about at this precise moment in <laughs> no. time. You know.
2: Well, my, my reservation is that it, th- all these comments that have been attributed to Wayne Rooney, where he he, he so says he's not looking forward to finding out what's in the book because he thinks it might show him in a bad light. Now, he's still a, uh, very much integral to Manchester United's plans. It can't If there is that uncertainty, I think it might have been prescient, perhaps, if uh, if Sir Alex had laid off a bit. But then having said that... I can understand, you know, it makes more sense to get it out now. If he if he writes it in a year, then he's got to really kind of give a critique of David Moyes as his successor. So, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't.
0: OK, we'll, we'll wrap up this um, chat on Man United with a very short sentence from each of you. Where do you expect Manchester United to finish this season? On the basis of what you've seen so far, Clive?
3: Uh, well, on the basis of what we've seen so far, they'll probably be where, where they are. They need to improve, and I think they will improve. I, I can't see them... I can't see them being outside the top four. I mean, they're still a top four team, I think. Jim?
2: Fourth. I think
3: fifth.
2: Um, ooh. So, well, OK, so which of the clubs do, do you think will finish above them?
0: Well, the thing, thing I, is, the thing i have been generous I with fifth because I think a lot of teams are capable of finishing above them, actually.
2: Well, the seven teams that are above them at the moment, I think that Arsenal and Chelsea will both finish above them and Manchester City will as well, but... I. I mean I would go at the moment and I know we're going to talk about Liverpool in a moment I still reckon that United will finish above Liverpool and Southampton and Everton as well so it's on that basis I've gone for fourth but I'm assuming then Ali that you think that Liverpool will will out- outsee them
0: I don't think Liverpool will finish in the top fourth No. and on that bombshell let's move on to discuss <laughs> the game at St James's Park as always I think the games between these two clubs have produced more Premier League goals than any other two contests and I'm not entirely sure why that would be. I think it's just it's just it's just historical that they've been attacking teams over the Premier League period and once you get a reputation for producing entertaining football, I think subliminally there's a there's a desire to produce an attractive game. And it was another attractive game. The Newcastle players said afterwards, Jim, that they felt it, it was it felt like a victory. Is that how it looked to you? It was a draw, but if to them with ten men, it felt like they'd won it.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, they were they were hanging on. It was elation at the end. And that's, a, you know, a 2-2 draw at home to Liverpool, which in, in some ways is an indictment of Newcastle. I, I don't mean that unkindly to Liverpool fans at, at all. You know, Liverpool at the time, with the point that they got, they went back to the top of the table. So they were playing against good opposition, no doubt about that. But boy, were they hanging on. I mean, Liverpool, I think if that game had been played another 10 times, would probably have won it seven or eight. They, they were much the better side and if it hadn't been for Tim Krull they, they'd have won this one Suarez was unlucky that, that he didn't score the winner On, in nearly every department Liverpool were the better team
0: Oh that's interesting Clive because I, I don't think there was a lot in it I, I liked Newcastle's tactics I thought they pressed hard they had high energy levels did you think they Well I the must admit
3: I, I've only seen uh, this is one game I haven't seen a lot of over the weekend I just, just, just for whatever reasons I won't bore you with but I was surprised. I mean, the, the level of commitment Newcastle have shown since the absolutely appalling display against uh, Everton. Well, the first half display, anyway, where they were absolutely terrible. Um, I was quite surprised when I saw this and thought, oh, God, they've gone down to 10 men after, what was it 40 minutes? And I, I expected. Them, that that was game over so i think we do have to give them a lot of credit for for getting the point out you know for taking the lead i mean this is they're obviously still you know very much in the game even you know just the home team but liverpool again we're going back to the thing about not killing games off. they can't seem to complete a, a 90 minutes of a sustained performance they, they, they i haven't heard one report yet where liverpool have played kind of well for the entire match I mean as I said I haven't seen a lot of this game so perhaps this was a game where but again tempered that with the fact they were playing against 10 men for a lot of it and they still only came away with a point. I mean I really want to read a report which doesn't rely on Suarez and Sturridge at the end of it and Mm. we can come away saying that um, yes Liverpool from the first minute to the 35th minute to the 85th minute were totally in control and I, I'm still waiting for that and that's why I'm kind of doubting that they're going to be there at the end of the season
0: yeah there's, a, there's an element of control freakery about about Brendan Rodgers and his team I feel um let me explain what I mean by that instead of taking the fact that Newcastle had gone down to 10 men as a boost obviously it's an obvious boost because then they get a penalty and they score from the penalty kick it was as if, it felt as if Liverpool just couldn't cope with it not being what they'd planned for it to be. And I, 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 I find this a lot with Liverpool. There seems to be a lack of adaptability. Oh, there's fancy stuff with formations changing and so on. But psychologically, I don't, they look quite frail the minute things don't pan out the way the stats showed that they might.
2: Jim, have you got cap- any
0: well, idea what I'm talking about?
2: I have. So, effectively, what you're saying is it's all painting by numbers. Mm, so it's like those, yeah. those old Dungeons and Dragons books. If this happens, go to page such and such. If this happens, go to page such and such. And there's no, there's no real adaptability within the framework of the game. So you, you can't modify things as they go on and, and um, take advantage of things that you see. The, the, it's, it's all very structured. That, that's my interpretation of what you're saying. And is it fair? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's your polite way of saying no. Of course not. Uh, no, I think no. I, I do. I, I I can totally understand where you're coming from. I I think that perhaps they are a little bit better than you give them credit for uh, doing that. But I do understand what you mean. And I think that Swansea was another case in point um, to that. But yeah, no, I, I can I can see where you're coming from. Definitely.
0: And it's time to Lord Stephen Gerrard, is it not? He scored a hundredth Premier League goal against Newcastle. Uh, having been captain fantastic
3: goals against Newcastle that's yeah it's, well
0: it's, it is the highest produce, you know the, they do produce more goals and they all come <laughs> against Newcastle and um, yeah he's captain fantastic for England captain fantastic for Liverpool I mean Liverpool are darn lucky to have him aren't they Clive
3: they are uh, and I'm still waiting to see again we're going back to I don't see who's stepping up to be Stephen Gerrard in that, in that Liverpool team and I, I, you do you, anybody a hundred goals, a hundred goals from midfield. Any, there's a, it's an elite band of players that do that, and you've got to applaud them. some people say, "Oh, well, he takes the penalties," but he steps up to take the. Is it taking a penalty in front of those people is an easy thing to do. The very fact that he steps forward to do them, to do that, is a laudable thing, and I, um, they will miss him, no doubt. Uh, just the very fact, you know. The captain, the scouseness of that team—that's why they were missing. There's nobody coming. To, but the next, Stephen Gerard, who is that?
0: Well, and, the, and that's probably why. Whenever people are interviewed at Anfield, Burton, they say, "Oh, he looks like he's got another ten years in him." And yeah. He's, yeah. It's wishful thinking, thinking more than anything. Exactly. What, yeah. And the other thing, Gerard has done, I think, is he's absorbed the loss of Jamie Carragher. I think when there's two scousers in the team, uh, that you know, you can more or less look at the team. And say, yeah, they've got a scouse core. It's fantastic. Um, Carragher retires and it's all down to Stevie G to provide the inspiration and the character. Do you want to say one nice word about Stevie G, Jim?
2: Uh, Well, I I could be effusive in my praise about him. I think he's a a, a decent bloke uh, from the very limited dealings I've had with him and and a a fantastic, phenomenal footballer. I I read that Jordan Henderson quote as well. He's got 10 years and and thought exactly the same thing. You kind of need him to have 10 years because he's, what, 32 now. If you can get another five years out of Steven Gerrard, that is absolutely magnificent because he's got some miles on the clock with more than 600 games for the club behind him. But still, he's he's playing probably just about as well as he ever has. I'm, I'm a massive admirer.
0: And after that loud round of applause from the game podcast, we'll move on to our debate of the week. Right, let's discuss the FA Commission. We had Heather Abatt's breaking ranks, sending out a public rebuke to Greg Dyke. Why is the Commission so white and not diverse and letting everyone down? Quickly afterwards, we get the sudden announcement that, oh, Rio Ferdinand's part of the Commission, as is the England manager, Roy Hodgson. And let's just remind everybody that I'd never really completed the panel in the first place. And we're work in progress and let's not judge it too soon so there's a lot to get our teeth into about the commission first of all as greg dyke handled it, it was a it was an idea he had it it glowed in the dark it was oh this, this is this is the way forward for the new chairman i'm going to consult i'm going to make english football better it's going to win things and i'm going to put together a team of people who are going to work out how to do this and before they've even met it's going wrong and people are unhappy with how he's going about it. So is as, as, as Greg Dyke really mucked up here, Clive?
3: Well, I have to give it time to see if he's really mucked up. The, the, the rolling out process has been handled badly. I'm not quite sure why there was such a rush from Glenn Hoddle. ...name being thrown out there at the beginning. It just seemed like some sort of stellar roll call That was quick to show that he was doing something. There was no reason why we couldn't have just waited till he settled on 10, 12 names, however many it's going to be, and said, right, here they are, here's my commission, instead of this sort of, ta-da, look what we've got now. And uh, there was nothing to be gained by that. Uh, and it doesn't seem to me that he's consulted everybody anyway. There seems to be all these stories about that he actually hasn't actually gone to the FA board members to uh, get their views on, on these people. He's just sort of said, well, these are on my com- these are the guys on my commission as well. What do you think afterwards? Well, surely they're the guys that should be confirming this. You know, he's just the head of this board. Um, having said that, they're the kind of predictable names. Where, you know, it's like, well, apart from the fact there's no Premier League representation, which is a glaring error, uh, and David Gill isn't on it either, um, the rest of them, you'd kind of expect, you know, the head of the Football League, the head of the PFA, these are guys kind of responsible for where we are now um there's no real forward thinking in, in any of these people and as for the the sort of the race issue um again it just strikes of a bit convenient you know heather abats makes a complaint and all of a sudden da yes. it's rio <laughs> ferdinand well again no much imagination there either rio ferdinand it just happens to be a black football he's got a lot of opinions. Um, well, and basically now, Rio, it's time to front up. You, you know, we, we know what you, you tweet a lot, you write a lot, and all this sort of stuff, but now you've been pushed forward to stick your head above the power pit. But at the same time, it's just a representative of players. You could have asked anybody. Uh, there were a number of Rio Ferdinands that you could have asked. Just go to ask certain players, they're present players. You could get that view from anybody. If we're talking about bringing through the next crop of making sure in the next crop of youngsters are good for the England team, and you want a specifically uh, ethnic viewpoint from that uh, I'm, I'm not sure you would have gone to why wouldn't you have gone to um a black coach who actually deals in youth development um some some sort of grassroots representation which again is sadly lacking from this committee and um, it's all at the top end as far as i can see um so from that point of view it, it is quite disappointing lineup
0: yes i mean let's rewind slightly jim is is a commission the way forward? Do, do panels make the right decisions? Do panels change history?
2: Well, I would say that, and, and it might just be a cynical attitude, but I, I, it, it seems to me as though Greg Dyke is just delegating responsibility and that he doesn't want the buck to stop on his desk. He can now hide behind the commission and say, well, we all decided it, so it's not just my fault when we haven't won the World Cup in another forty years, uh, it's down to these other nine people, eleven people, twenty-nine people, whatever it ends up being, as well. Uh, for me, I think that he should have you should have the confidence to to go and seek the opinions of uh, you know those people um, who are trusted within the game, uh, a lot more um, diverse names than the ones we've got on, you know, in all the ways that Clive says, not just in terms of. Uh, Ethnic background or uh, gender, but also in terms of you know grassroots football and all the points that Clive made, I totally agree with. I just I just look at the the panel and think it's it's something or nothing. It's just another fad. It's another man putting his spin on it. And in, how long is it going to last? I tell you something. I bet you that by the time this panel is disbanded, England still haven't won a major tournament.
0: <laughs> I think the glaring omission. I I don't think a, a commission is the right way. But I think if you're going to Put a body together to try and improve the results of the England team. I think what you need to do is be bold and then you need to go abroad. You need to find the people who've done it in other countries. Why consult, and uh, and this is more or less what you were saying, Clive, why consult the people who are responsible for the current state of affairs? Go to the people who've already succeeded. So look at models in other countries rather than just saying, oh, look at Germany, haven't they got it right? Actually pick some. Brains, some real live brains, bring them over, buy them copious amounts of cups of tea and look after them and get them to analyse what we're doing and point out not just the negatives but the positives as well. I mean, you know, for example, Jose Mourinho, it often takes an outsider to state the obvious. Jose Mourinho has said quite recently, you know, don't beat yourselves up so much, don't try and copy too much, have a look at what you've got that's good. For example, our passion. High-pressing game and so on. That there are things that are very English that are great, um, but I think we need to build from that. Build from a positive sense. Are you getting outsiders' opinion on what we've got that's good? Because sometimes when you're looking at yourself, you can't see what you do well. There's just it's, we're beating ourselves up at the moment and think we need a commission to solve it. And I don't think that's necessarily the right the uh, right yeah. starting point. Why well, assume everything we've got is absolutely rubbish? I think you're
3: absolutely right. I mean, there's there's somehow that. There's, uh, Sounds like I'm disagreeing with you here, but you know, that somehow foreign is, is kind of best and, you know, England aren't succeeding, therefore the English way is wrong. Well, there are obviously, you know, there are a good core of England players and English players. You know, there is something that we, in English football that is very good. You know, it's the most, it's, there's a reason it's the most watched football in the world. You know, there's got to be something good about that. And I think you're right. The, Jose Mourinho is a great example of a, of a, pair of foreign eyes, but who knows our game, who's worked in Portugal, you know, Italy and it can bring all his experience of those different footballing cultures and cherry pick the best ideas to, that work, that can work for, for England. That's a perfect example. Like, it's Going back to that kind of, the, you know, the ethnic makeup of this commission I didn't really think at the time that that was so important, as long as they just got the right people. I mean, that was that was the point. You know, I don't really care whether they're black white Chinese or pink with yellow spots as long as they are decisive enough and have an opinion that is going to actually bring about what's needed. Um, Just the best people is what's needed.
0: Jim, do you think, would it be too simplistic to say simply to Greg Dyke, why don't you take a trip to Belgium and have a look at why they're so darn successful at the moment?
2: Yeah, and it's not just Belgium. I mean, Belgium have got, obviously, an extraordinary crop of young players that have all come through at the same time. Is
0: that coincidence or is there a reason for that, though?
2: I don't know. I've got to confess that i i couldn't i don't know enough about the way that um, the Belgians teach their youngsters to to be able to give you an informed answer on that, which sounds like a bit of a cop out. It could just be an anomaly, but it could be the mark of something they're doing. You could also look at other countries Iceland have got a fantastic crop of young players coming through and you consider the population of Iceland and you consider the population of England well, I know who's performing the better in terms of developing young players at the moment, and it's certainly not us. So I think that there are plenty of places that you can draw inspiration from. But as I say, whether this happens to be the Belgian equivalent of uh, the golden generation, I don't know what golden generation is in Flemish, but it's probably got (laughs) Benteke in there somewhere. And, and, And similarly in Iceland. So I think that there are countries that are getting it right, but then you could have looked at the young England players that were coming through a few years ago and thought that we were getting it right and it didn't work out that way. So I think it's a little bit too early to tell. But certainly you would look at what Belgium have been able to produce and the strength they've got in depth for a country of their size is extraordinary.
0: But also we we don't know yet if Belgium as a nation can pull together the talent they have most of which seems to be playing in the premier league and make them do well on the international stage i mean probably we should take a trip to belgium after the world cup next year and see if they yeah. do as well collectively as they appear they should do if you look at them individually it may be they follow exactly the same pattern as well, england I was say, they have all these stars be, you know, all but they get knocked are, out of the quarterfinals. Yeah, their maybe. players are yeah, playing over here
3: you know, they're, 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 you know their best players are over here playing in the english setup so perhaps they're doing, you know, they simply look at England and think, well, that's, you know, apart from the wages and whatever it is, but they're, they're developing over here. We're, we're kind of helping them become the great team that they are. Um, and I think, I think it probably is a bit of an anomaly. It just happens to be, it's the same with, we just, England are far too quick to rush to copy the, the next big thing. So, you know, when France won uh, the European Champions in the World Cup, oh, we've got to do what they're doing in Fontainebleau. Where it is. Then Spain finally won something i mean you know for the only thing we hate about spain is that they stopped being we england took their crown as being the great underachievers now because spain <laughs> finally won uh-huh. something you know so england were going boohoo you know we've got no one else to fall back on now and now everyone is thinking oh, what's the secret formula in belgium well isn't there just there's a generation of players just happen to have been born at the same time i don't think we should rush to just instantly just look to see what's happening there you know
0: Well, chips and mayonnaise, obviously. Obviously. That's what we should be feeding the uh, (laughs) 10-year-olds at Academy. The other reason, of course, why it might be worth looking at Belgium is that they've been through a similar process that we're in the middle of now, in that they decided whatever they were doing, they were doing wrong, and they looked abroad themselves to find out what they might do better to produce talent. Um, I think probably Greg Dyke might do well to uh, sneak a look at someone else's homework. Right, it's time for the world-famous Quick Hits. Andros Townsend shines, yet again, as Tottenham win at Aston Villa. But Clive, as a flip side, there was that smoke bomb that hit the assistant referee. Now, when this kind of thing happens in Europe, clubs do get punished and they have to forfeit games. I assume this isn't going to happen here.
3: Well, I'll take it with for you. i do they get punished in four-foot games? I'll take your word well for that because I see, you know, European games and, you know, there are flares and things going off all the time. It just needs to be accepted. So I'm not quite sure where the kind of... Pun- the sad thing about this is that we've just, you know, oh, the the polls turned up at Wembley and they had some flares. So, oh, the next big thing is we've got to take some flares to a Premier League game. Um, I think, you yeah, know, the FA will investigate. They've said they'll investigate and quite quite rightly... We may well need to have some stricter, stricter searches for uh, yeah. how these things get into grounds in the first place. I mean, that just seems to have been very lax at the, at the moment. Yeah, you um, can't
0: take in a bottle of water well, with exactly. a lid on it anywhere, yeah. but you can take in a you huge can, take
3: in can, can, a huge can. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, that seems bizarre to me. Um, and I suppose, I'm not quite sure, who, I presume in this case you, you'd punish the home team for allowing it to get in because Spurs have already said that they will ban the, the guys uh, who if And when they are found guilty, I'm not quite sure what uh, another club can do about that. But actually, the downside of this as well is it, it all seems to have been a bit funny that, you know, because a linesman got hit by the flare, it seems to have been dismissed. I saw Michael Dawson, you know, who comforted him and then was quoted as saying, Oh, you know, we spoke at half time and we had a laugh about it. I thought, well, if that had been a flare that hit Michael Dawson, yes. we'd have been <laughs> unbelievable things about this now. But I just think that was a bit bizarre about the, the, the actual. Uh, about this episode, I think.
0: Manchester City cruise at West Ham as Aguero scores twice to ruin Big Sam's birthday. Uh, Jim, most teams play one up. Liverpool and City play two up. Which is the best partnership? Aguero with Negredo or Sturridge playing alongside Suarez?
2: Well, at the moment, in terms of which is the most important partnership to the team, and we kind of touched on it earlier, I think it's Sturridge and Suarez. because If you take those two out of Liverpool... I would imagine they would struggle big time, whereas Manchester City would have other players that they could fall back on uh, to fulfil similar roles. But having said that, I think once Aguero and Negredo have played with each other for you know another three or four months, then I think that theirs will be the most prolific and most damaging partnership, the more feared partnership by other defences around the country.
3: Alison, Samuel Eto finally scores for Chelsea and it was quite a goal too in the uh, 4-1 win over... Uh, the team we now have to call Vincent Tans, (laughs) Cardiff. But there was controversy over the first goal. You're a qualified referee. Why was he allowed to nick the ball while Marshall was still bouncing it?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked me, Clive. I have brought with me into the studio uh, FIFA's Laws of the Game book, which, if I was on Desert Island Discs, would be obviously the book I would take with me to my (laughs) Desert Island. And uh, it says on page 116, a goalkeeper is considered to be in control of the ball while the ball is between his hands or between his hand and any surface, e.g. the ground or his own body. It couldn't be clearer, really, could it? I mean, Marshall was in control of the ball. The goal should not have stood. And I, as you know, I don't like it when people pick on referees. They're so easy to pick on. Um, but in this case, uh, Mr Taylor got it wrong. Clive, Arsenal were devastating and scored two gorgeous goals. As punishment for being a Spurs fan, we'll make you talk about them. Most people have been gushing over Wilshire's goal, but Ramsey's too was quite lovely. When's he going to become an ordinary player again?
3: Well, I think, actually, if we address the first bit, I didn't think, I mean, Wilshire's goal, yeah, loads of fancy flick. I think somebody counted there were 27 passes and five phases or something but there was a, an element of performing seal and and <laughs> kind of luck about it basically <laughs> um and to be honest um, actually ramsay's goal was a fine controlled goal but actually i preferred uh Ozil second because that was a proper example of a goal that comes from well practiced skills well honed skills fine cross to the far post ramsay's touch for for the back to Ozil was the best bit about it and Ozil produces to finish that a world class player produces uh, as for Ramsey he is the one I think when people talk about that new Arsenal midfield he is the player that actually he was probably the one who feared for his position most at the start of the season and he's the one that's risen to the challenge of playing with a world class player more than anybody I think in that Arsenal midfield so uh, good on him really.
2: But Clive all I would say and I, I know where you're coming from but which one of the goals made you stand up and applaud?
3: It was an Arsenal goals, yeah, you Arsenal know what goal. I mean. I'm not okay. going to
2: Ericsson, Ericsson scores all three of those goals. Which one gets you out of your seat the,
3: the quickest? Well, I, I, I suppose from that point of view, the first one because it, because it came off. But I, if, when you look at it again, and I just look at all those things, and I think it was just such a pinball bagatelle. I, I Fluke. still don't Did think. You say yeah, like? yeah, I am. Wilshire's last back heel is one of the greatest flukes ever. It was just could have gone anywhere. <laughs> it just happened to go back to Giroud. It just happened to flick it back. Wilshire's finish, brilliant. You know, because some players might have taken the touch and it might not, you know, given the goalkeeper a bit of time. But he took it first time. But I have to tell you, call me boring, I still preferred the last one.
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you, Boring Clive. As still, <laughs> as great goals go, um, I think a nod to Jonathan de Guzman, a player I rate, but I don't hear many people gushing over him. Jim, do you rate him?
2: I think he's a good player, but I, I think that if you're trying to convince us that he's, he's a good player, you've also potentially got to convince his manager because he's only started in with three of the eight Premier League games so far. Uh, so... He's obviously not seen by Michael Laudrup as being an absolute world beater. He's a ve- He is a very good player. I'm not belittling him in any shape or form, and he will be uh, an undoubtedly part of the Dutch squad for the forthcoming World Cup. But I, I, I don't know. I think the ability to to score a goal like that and be able to influence a game for 90 minutes are two completely
3: different things. Uh, Alison, Everton beat Hull. Uh, but Gareth Barry is a very, very lucky boy. Uh, Steve Bruce was rather annoyed, very unlike Steve Bruce, um, but I was mystified at his offside goal and that, that he was still on the pitch. Surely he should have been sent off. Um, what are your thoughts about uh, a player who we thought was one of the good guys?
0: Yeah, I think part of the reason might be that Gareth Barry's 32 and he's been given this all-important enforcer role at Everton. And I think probably, not. not, the coast's not the right word, but I think he probably had more time at City. He was surrounded by players who made time with their exquisite skill. At Everton, they're not quite at that level, and I think he's been given a lot of responsibility, and I think he's charging around, not as young as he was, and his timing's slightly off there. That's the nice interpretation. Absolutely, he should have been sent off. There were two very dangerous tackles committed by him in in that match, um, and they sort of, got worse the more you saw them they were they were really poor as for him taking a touch for the goal I am slightly mystified I think the evidence is only in his cheeky smile I didn't actually see him touch the ball none of the footage I've seen makes it clear that he he got a nick and if you can't tell from the footage replayed over and over again I don't think you can blame the officials in that instance.
2: And let me throw you a quick question then. I know you want to come to the defence of the officials and I agree with you about that one, but it's just been a funny week. We've talked about the Chelsea goal. There's been the corner at Inverness. I don't know whether you saw that, where the corner was taken short and uh, then it it appeared as though it hadn't been taken at all and the goal was seemingly wrongly chalked off. We get the phantom goal in Germany all over the space of uh, a couple of days. Standard of refereeing getting worse or is this just another anomaly?
0: Well, if I think Belgium can be (laughs) concluded to be an anomaly, then I think so can a a weekend of of dodgy decisions. I think what it proves actually, Jim, is that we're getting more and more angles and coverage and cameras of games. And as that increases, the dissection of officials' decisions will increase also. They've always been uh, decisions that were inaccurate or poor, but we didn't have the evidence before our eyes to know it. So that's all for now. Uh, Don't forget to come and see us in Birmingham where we're live. There's the links you need for that on Twitter and on our SoundCloud page too. So if you live anywhere near the West Midlands and you don't come, you'll be missing a great show. Thanks to my panel, my big, large panel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you see that's, that's that's what Dyke needs. He needs just, two, just people, need two people. And then you've sorted everything. And commission. Thanks, thanks to Clive and Jim. It's and more
3: diverse than his commission as well. Though. <laughs> yeah,
0: we've got a woman, we've got someone who isn't white, and we've got someone who's where are you from, Jim?
2: From
3: Birmingham. You see, we've so got, we got the region's covered. Go fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every
2: Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification
3: and you're away.
0: Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk which have been published for over a century. In this brand-new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history.
2: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.